Good morning. Once, I'll be once again the person to welcome you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you're a guest with us today, especially glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. If you would be so kind to, to fill out one of those connection cards that you received on your handout on the way in and be able to fill that out. If you have a prayer request, something that's on your heart, maybe a question that comes out of today's sermon or something that the Lord's dealing with, uh, we would love to be able to, to have a record of that and be able to pray with you uh, during this time as well. I want to remind you that next Sunday we're going to gather uh, from 4 to 7 p.m. thereabouts over at Matt and Tiffany Seaman's house. Uh, it's, been announced, it's been in your uh, uh, kind of hand out your bulletin for some time. Um, but if you also get on Facebook, there is a link that you can go to to sign up for what to bring. And most, all, all the, the burgers and the dogs and the buns and all that stuff is going to be provided by the church. Uh, but there's going to be uh, like fruits and vegetables and then desserts. All right. So if the dessert section fills up, don't worry about that. You go ahead and keep bringing them, okay? We can never have enough desserts at a church fellowship. But in all that is serious, but in, in, in greater seriousness, we turn our attention to Proverbs chapter 1. So go ahead and open your Bibles with me there to Proverbs chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible, uh, there's one located at the ends of the aisles. Uh, you can grab one. If you do not own one, we'll be happy to, to purchase you one if you can't afford one. Um, but like we said last week, just to really try to make this a part of our uh, practice and discipline to bring our Bibles with us each and every week uh, as we follow along. But today we continue to look to answer the question, how do I faithfully follow Jesus in my everyday life? I believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. But how do I faithfully follow Jesus in my everyday life? That's the question that every Christian should be asking. How do I do this? There should be a desire there. I want to, but maybe I'm not, not knowing how to. Well, that's what this series is entitled or intended to do. And today we're zeroing in on the importance of listening to and not forsaking wisdom. So again, there's an emphasis being placed upon listening as an essential part of faithfully following Jesus. So let's pick up where we left off, Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like these, those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have, all, have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their, their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? 
How long will scoffers delight in the scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. And will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now what we have before us here in Proverbs chapter 1 is a loving and wise father giving instruction to his son. Now it really matters not the gender here of the child as its application here is universal. You can think of the child possibly being one who's about to go off to college. Or maybe we're going to receive the keys to the car for the very first time. Parents who have had children in those age brackets can recall those type of conversations and the fears you as a parent even have in sending them out into the world. Even those of us with younger children of the fear of anticipating what will happen one day when you kind of let them go and push them out of the nest as they go. And what we have here is wise instructions from parents to a child regarding the dangerous world that they're going to be traversing into and heading into um, in their everyday life. So what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of break this down into four points, starting with number one, listen to and don't forsake wise instruction. Really, this is going to be the bulk of our time this morning. We're going to be looking at these first two verses and then we'll subsequently flow out of that. The father here is saying to the son, listen, son, don't forsake what your mom and I have taught you. Many of us may have heard those same exact words. Don't don't forsake what we've taught you. Don't forsake our instruction. Why is this being said here? Verse 9. For they, they being the instructions, are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs 4, 9 compares the garland here to a beautiful crown. One can compare the pendant that's being spoken of here as that of like an Olympic gold medal. These are things to be treasured. Wise instruction is portrayed as being a great reward. So hold on to it. Cling to it. Don't forsake it. If you do, you're forsaking it to your own peril. Now maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're sitting there saying, really? really? God wants me to listen to my parents' instructions? (laughs) My, My parents' instructions are... Are, are pearls of wisdom, graces of graceful garland. <laughs> does he know my parents? Do, has he met them? Well, yes, he does know them. And he's placed them in your life for a reason. But we need to first and foremost understand that, that God wants us to listen to his instruction as our heavenly father, first and primary. But God has designed the home. God has designed 
parents to, to be the, the primary means of administering this instruction, of administering this wisdom. That, that's why parents are instructed by the Lord, as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, to teach the word of God diligently to our children. Why? Because it's our responsibility as parents to impart the wisdom of God upon our children. This isn't something that we have the liberty of farming out to, to someone else. See, the first line of disciple making starts in the home. It comes from within the home. Now, not, not children's ministries and not youth ministries and not private schools or any other kind of extra extraneous thing. It comes from within the home first and foremost. Now, does that mean that children's ministries are bad or youth ministries are bad? No, they have their place. But that's where your children should be coming for the gravy, for the dessert, not for the main course. The meat is supposed to come from the home. That's the way God has designed it. Making the gospel a topic of conversation, the word of God, the topic of conversation in our homes day and night, when we rise, when we go to bed, when we are going out throughout the day. Why? All of this is to permeate our life as parents and as a family. Why? Because the responsibility of discipling our children falls upon the family. To disciple our children in biblical wisdom from a very early age to teach them to obey everything that the Lord has commanded. The Great Commission starts first and foremost in our homes. And we're supposed to reinforce it over and over and over and over again throughout our child's life as they're growing up. So when they do eventually leave the nest, when eventually they do enter out into this, this world with all these dangerous perils and enticements that await, that they, these truths, these instructions will be ingrained in them. They're going to be embedded down in their heart. We're training up a child in the way that he or she should go with the prayer and the hope that when they are old, they will not depart from it. We're going to have a whole sermon on that later in the series. But we understand as parents that when those enticements of this world come, and they will, they're going to be beyond anything that our children have even begun to fathom. And we're hoping that when those enticements come, our children will recall the instructions that we have been so faithfully and intentionally imparting upon them. Now, those instructions are from who? The Lord. But when they are in that moment of enticement, whose face is coming to mind? Mom and dad's. But they're the Lord's words. And we're wanting to faithfully be able to teach and give instruction to raise them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. This is the aim. But that's not always the case, is it? That may not be the case for, for many in this room. Maybe you're, you're sitting here today and you're like, I didn't do that with my kids. I'm not doing that with my kids. I, I wasn't raised that way my, myself. I, I don't even know how to start. <laughs> I, I don't know where to start here. And here's where I've got good news for you. I've got good news that you have the opportunity right now to change the course of history from, for your family from this point forward. This isn't just applying to those who have kids. Those without kids will one day have kids, teenagers, young people. This is applying to you that you can change the whole course of trajectory for your family from this point forward. 
Won't be easy. We'll take dip, dip, discipline. Will be difficult at times, but will not be as hard as you might think. This is not impossible. Just like we looked at last week, wise Christians, maturing Christians are growing and increasing in knowledge, increasing in understanding. We're receiving continually guidance from other wise people. Whether we're reading it, whether we're listening to it, we're, have, we're absorbing it, we're wanting to grow, not so that we can just hoard it up for ourselves and say, hey, look how smart I am. No, what do we want to do? We want to impart that upon the simple, the youth, those who are entrusted to our care. And that starts with our children. It starts within our families. So as parents, as young people, as future parents, we are starting to say, hey, knowledge is important not only for me, but for the ones who are going to be surrounding me within my family and in my circle and how that continues to go forth. I want to learn the ways of Christ. I want to learn how to walk in, in understanding and wisdom I want to receive guidance, not so that I can hoard it all up, but so that we can obey the instruction of God to teach our children to obey everything that he has commanded. We're, we're learning so we can reproduce. And this is how God has designed to build his church. And guess what happens? As you learn and you teach, and as you teach, you learn. I think one of the biggest guises that people can have, whether it's with a teacher or whether it's a pastor or any of those things, is to think that the, the pastor or a teacher or anybody has it all figured out. Like you're looking over your notes and you're going through your study plans and you're studying for weeks on end to try to be able to impart what you are learning to those that you are teaching. It's the same thing with, with our children. And you got to start somewhere with them and with us. So where if you're, this is totally new concept for you, start where your children are and just make it a priority of growing knowledge and wisdom. One of the things that we do in our family every single night is we, we read Brian a bedtime story that is focused around the Bible. And it, we'd use David Helms, uh, David Helms' uh, the big picture Bible, and we use Sally Lloyd-Jones, the Jesus Storybook Bible. I believe the links to those are both on our church website. We use those to help teach the overarching story of the Bible. You're teaching individual stories and how every story and every page of Scripture is pointing us to Christ, but it's also helping teach the overarching story of the Bible. Now, we use the, the primary Bible as well, but you're using those. And you know what those children's books do for me? They teach me. They help me to see things in a simplistic manner of the overarching story of the Bible. I'm teaching Bryant and I'm learning as I'm teaching. But you know what that does not look like in our home? That's not the Todd family gathered around the Bible listening with bated breath every single night. It is not the case. I wish it was. But sometimes family devotion night, sometimes family Bible study night looks more like wrangling cats. And I have only one, right? I can only imagine some of your scenarios. I mean, there are nights where I am like, okay, I know grace is important, God, but we are just gonna have to turn to the law uh, tonight. This is where we're going to have to camp out. I mean, He's not in here, so I'm going to throw him under the bus uh, for, for just a moment. But first time, first service, we were in here, we were gathered together. 
And Bryant sees Patrick on his way up here and he looks over to me and he's like, is Patrick preaching today? <laughs> because Patrick preached shorter than Jeremy does. <laughs> and, and so, so Brian's like, please let it be Patrick. <laughs> and he looks over and I said, no, daddy's preaching, microphone. <laughs> and he just slumps down in his chair and just pats. And I'm like, that's what I deal with. <laughs> Patrick is preferred over daddy. <laughs> but you know what? Those little critters are sharp and they're absorbing things that we may think that they're absolutely oblivious to. (laughs) They're watching and they're learning and they're mimicking even when we think that they're not. (laughs) And then you realize, oh, I do that. (laughs) Good, bad, and ugly. (laughs) And we're thinking, I'm teaching in every single thing that I do. So maybe you don't have it all figured out. None of us do. But what is it teaching when your children see you sitting before your Bible and studying it? I'm going to go get my Bible too, Mommy. I'm going to go get my Bible too, Daddy. And they're pulling right up next to you. I want want to pray too. Let me pray at dinner now. Let me do that. I want to talk about Jesus because that's all, that's the the culture that they're growing up with. They're hearing that conversation flow. But here's the thing, many of us probably didn't grow up in that type of culture. So when we're having, we're wanting to have those type of gospel conversations, maybe we grew up in a church family, but still the, the topic of Christ and him crucified and talking about the things of the gospel were not the first and foremost on our minds um, as a family. So now when your family does get together, gospel conversations are still kind of awkward for you. Well, guess what? If your child, all of he or she ever knows is those type of conversations, seeing mom and dad be able to study the Bible and praying together and go through these things, it's going to make it far less awkward and just a normal part of their life. Now, what if you do and say, hey, but my children are older here. The same stuff applies. You've got to have different obstacles to overcome. But you take what you're studying. You say, well, I'm not studying anything. We'll start there. Open up the gospel. Go through the Proverbs. We'll take your Bible. Buy a, a study Bible. We recommended that last week. Get a study Bible to follow along. And gain some information. You don't have to have it all figured out again. Say, this is what you learn, and now you're going to teach it to your child. And now watch them learn. It's little bits and nuggets along the way. Take the sermon that that you're listening to. Jot down notes of why it's important to listen. Not so you can just go back home and say, you need to listen to me, child. Uh, But just say, hey, this is God's instruction to us. I want to instruct you as the Lord would instruct me. I'm a child here too. We're instructing as we're doing. That's why we do the New City Catechism that goes up on the screen. It's to instruct, to teach, to disciple us, to know the ways of Christ. We all have idolatry in our life. We all need to repent of that idolatry. Remove those idolatrous things from us. We we have to learn these truths. And guess what? They have little child parts of it as well that we use on, on Sunday mornings sometimes as well. Child responses. And you're learning these things and you're teaching them to your child It goes hand in hand. What you're doing is you're placing crowns and garland on your child's head and on your head and pendants of wisdom around necks. But what we're not doing is we're not just imparting knowledge. We're learning. We're understanding. 
we're teaching, we're reminding, and we're being reminded that Christ is all satisfying. Mom and dad really do love Jesus. The wisdom and the word of God is not only good for us, it is our lifeblood. It is everything about us. That his word really is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. And we want to hide it in our hearts so deeply ingrained and in our children's hearts that they may not sin against God. We're understanding and learning and trusting all scripture from Genesis to Revelation really is God-breathed. And it is profitable for teaching, for, for reproof, for correction, for training up in righteousness so that the person of God might be complete, equipped for every good work to walk in this dangerous world that we live in. It's believing God's instruction is the best instruction. Like he actually knows what's best for us. Yet how is God commonly seen within our culture? The cosmic killjoy. God just doesn't want me to have any fun. He doesn't want me to be happy. He doesn't want me to be able to experience life. He just rules, man. It's all that are there. It's a bunch of rules. But the truth is God does want us to be happy. He wants very much for us to be happy. But he knows the only way that we're going to be really truly happy, not superficially happy, but really happy, is if that happiness is found in him. That happiness is found in the pursuit of holiness, not in worldly substitutes. So even starting with Adam and Eve, all the way back in Genesis, God has lovingly and wisely instructed his children how to live in wisdom, telling Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it. Like, be happy. Live and work for the purposes that I created you for. And let's be honest, that's a good job description right here, man. Like, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's your job. This is what I've done. I've created everything for you. And he says, man, you you surely can eat from every tree in the garden. I'm providing it all for you. You can eat, enjoy, and be satisfied in me. Walk in unbroken fellowship. It's all yours. Just don't eat of one tree. Just don't eat of one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of that tree you shall not eat. If you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Everything else is yours. Blessings. Not burdens. Blessings. See, God loves his children enough to instruct us how to live rightly before him. If he was not loving, he would not give us instructions to obey. He would just say, hey, have at it, do it yourself. And we would fail. But he says, I love you enough. I'm not only going to free you from Egypt by my grace. I'm going not to free you from slavery by my grace. I'm also going to now tell you how to live rightly before me. He's loving like this because he knows that we're going to be enticed by greed. Number two, when enticed by greed, don't consent. This is verses 10 through 15. Here the father is is getting serious with his son. You had those conversations where you're kind of like, I really want to impart this upon you. I'm kind of coming in close. Maybe you've had that conversation with your own parent. 
You're about to, he's, the father here is telling him, okay, son, you're about to be enticed in ways that you never, ever imagined. And I'm telling you, as enticing as it's going to be, don't give in to it. Do what instead? Recall and walk in wisdom. Don't forsake the teaching that your mother and I have imparted upon you. Don't do it. Now, question here. What is greed? Because we can define it in all kinds of different ways. Simply define it as an intense, unhealthy desire for something. Now, that something could be a, just about anything, whether power or money or pleasure. It all can be interwoven. It's tightly associated with envy and jealousy and covetousness and selfishness and gluttony and the list could go on and all kind of stemming back to, to greed. What it is is the serpent slithering in the garden, if you will, seductive and enticing, throwing out the question continually, did God actually say? Did he really say that? Surely that's not what God wants. That's not what God intended. Why would God deprive you of happiness? Why? It's just a piece of fruit, surely. You will not surely die. God just knows that when you eat of this, your eyes are going to be open to, to truth and you're going to be like God in knowing good and evil. He's actually kind of holding back on you. He doesn't really want you to be completely fulfilled. Now, what did Satan do here? What did he do? He, he enticed with greed. And at the same time, what he did is he placed seeds of doubt regarding the trustworthiness of God's word. But notice here that he doesn't make Adam and Eve do anything. He doesn't make them do anything. And neither does he do that with us. Satan never makes anyone do anything. If we say that he does, we're giving him way more power than he deserves. But what he does do is he entices our sinful hearts. He entices what's already there. It's already there. As Mark 7, if we recall back to, to Mark 7, verses 21 through 23, for out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexuality, immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. All of these things flowing from our heart, our sinful, greedy hearts. It's like if I can just have that desired something, then, I, then I'll be really happy. If I, can just, if I can have that, if I can have that forbidden fruit, if I can have that, then I'm going to be happy. I and mean, what we're saying when we say that is ultimately, I'm, I'm satisfied not in Christ, but in the things of this world. I'm, I'm, I'm not satisfied in Christ. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. The forbidden fruit will bring me happiness. You know what that is? It's greed. It's greed. And God is saying, no, it won't. All throughout his text, he's saying, no, it won't. Church, what's the forbidden fruit that's being handed out before you? Kind of dangled out before you. Say, take and eat. You will not surely die. Take and eat. What is that? This is the, what the father is warning the son here of. That the world is going to say, take and eat. Sinners are going to, to look to entice you. Saying things like, we, we shall find precious goods. Fill our houses with plunder. Come with us. And we will all have one purse. No care of how this is going to affect anyone else. We're going to out to please ourselves. It's going to be enticing. Make one little lie. 
and you get a much bigger commission. Just do this and everything's going to be great. It's going to sound really, really good. But don't do it, son. Don't. Don't consent. Don't give in to the enticement. Don't eat the fruit of that tree or you will surely die. Leading us to point number three. Greed will destroy you. This is where we see verses 16 through 19. That's the serpent's aim. is He's looking to steal, to kill, and to destroy. As verses 17 and 18 say, For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. What is that all about? What's he saying here? Anybody ever had a mouse in your house? Yeah, those nasty little critters, right? Yeah, and what do you do? You set a mousetrap, right? Yeah, but does a mousetrap without any bait catch anything? No, unless you're just really, 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 really lucky, maybe little sticky pads or whatever, but even that's another issue. So what do you do with a mousetrap? You, you put a little bait on it. Why? Because you want to entice the mouse. And when you entice the mouse... And the mouse comes along and sees the forbidden fruit. I want the forbidden fruit. I want the cheese. I want the peanut butter. That's my choice of preference to entice the mice. And when he comes along, can't take it off the trap. I want more. I want it. What? Boom. It's over. His neck is snapped. Verse 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. It's going to make me feel so good. It's going to be great. Snaps the neck. We think the forbidden fruit will bring us joy, but all it brings is destruction. Whether now or later. God gives us instruction on how to live for a reason. And it's not to deprive us from, from happiness. As a teenager, I, I thought my parents were the perpetual killjoys. Forget God just being the cosmic killjoy. I was like, as a teenager, that's my parents right there, right? They don't want me to do this. They don't want me to do that. They don't want me to have any fun. And I'm not going to ask any teenagers to raise their hands, even if I see heads nodding right there. We've all felt that way. At one point or time. Now I'm a parent. And I, my child is saying the exact same things to me. Like, Dad, you just don't want me to have any fun. He's five. <laughs> He's saying the exact same things to me. Is it because I don't want him to be happy that I say those things? No. I want him to be happy. It's because I want him to know wisdom and the ways of wisdom. I want him to know Jesus and how what it means to follow Jesus. I want to keep him safe not only now, but 10 million years from now. And as parents, too often we can focus so much on the here and now. I want them to be happy. I want them to be able to provide them with this and provide them with that and keep them safe and have every opportunity. And we give them their best life now. But we do nothing to prepare them for eternity church, the only people who are going to have their best life now are those who are going to spend eternity in hell. That's the reality. The truth is, we don't want to just prepare our, our children to succeed in this life. If that's all we have done, we have failed. We want to impart wisdom so that they may know Christ and Him 
crucified. And just understand, here's where some will say, they just got to learn the hard way. And if we're honest, we can all say that we've learned some pretty difficult lessons the hard way, haven't we? Wish we wouldn't have had to, but we've learned some pretty difficult lessons the hard way. But if we had it all to do over again, would we have rather listened to, to wisdom or had someone love us enough to impart, instruct us in wisdom? Like listened and learned instead of experienced and learned? The answer there is, I think, yes. Because the truth is, some lessons don't end in learning. Some lessons end in destruction. And it's only by the grace of God that some of ours haven't. The world is holding it out and saying, oh, here's the fruit. Come, taste and eat, take and eat. You're not going to surely die. Yes, you will. Don't eat of that tree. Which brings us to point number four. Listen to wisdom. This is where we culminate verses 20 through 33. From the very beginning, God has been graciously instructing his children in wisdom, instructing us how to live, what it looks like to, to faithfully follow him. But since the garden, greed has manifested itself in dissatisfaction. God meeting every need of Adam and Eve. But what do they want? They still wanted more. Well, God had given them everything, but they still wanted more. It wasn't enough to be like God, created in the image of God. Oh no, when it ties to the possibility of being like God and knowing good and evil, what do they want? They wanted more. So do we. We'll rationalize in all different ways to, to deny it or to justify our, ourselves. But God says, here's how you are to live. This is what it means to, to follow Jesus. And what do we do? Well, we will say things like, well, God... What God really means is, is, is this over here. And that, that there, that part, that doesn't apply to all of us. That's just, that's just for some people. Well, God, God knows my heart. And that one's true. God does know our hearts. God does know your heart. He knows exactly how greedy our sinful hearts really are. He knows how greedy our sinful hearts really are. See, we disobey wisdom and instruction of God because like Adam and Eve, we think the forbidden fruit is going to bring us something that God can't or won't. That's why we do it. And in response, wisdom cries out from the streets. Wisdom is crying out, verse 22, how long, oh simple ones, will you be love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? How long, how long, greedy fool, will you find contentment in your unrighteousness, wallowing in your pigsty? Why, how long? And all throughout the Bible, God is saying, come home. Come home, whether it's Israel, whether it's Gomer and with pursuit of Hosea. He said, come home. He's like, listen to the wisdom of your heavenly father and come home, you prodigal son. Come home. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, at my correction, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. God the Father is crying out from all of Scripture, I will kill the fattened calf. I will throw the biggest party. I will welcome you home. Just listen to wisdom. Believe wisdom. Come home. You don't have to make yourself right. 
You can't. You won't. If you're waiting for that, it's never going to happen. I'll do that for you. I'll do that. Just come home. Yes, you ate the forbidden fruit, the serpent, when the serpent said, take and eat. Oh, you took and ate and you ate a lot. But now Jesus, he is saying, believe in me. Take and eat my body and my blood that was shed for you. Take and eat and believe and receive Christ forevermore. Receive everlasting life. Jesus is being held forth by God through the gospel as the irresistible one. God saying, forsake the forbidden fruit and be enticed by my love for you. Where before the foundations of the world were even laid, God predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Not because we obeyed. We haven't. We won't. We will never be good enough. Then why? Why? For the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. Check this church. We love God because he first loved us. He loved us while we were still sinners. Not when we got it all together. Not when we made ourselves right. While we were still in the pigsty. Sinners, Christ died for us. Take and eat. Isn't that enticing? <laughs> knowing, despite knowing all your sin, he still chose to impart his love upon you. Isn't it enticing? Isn't, isn't it glorious? So, so wandering child, quit wandering and don't listen to instruction. Don't forsake wisdom. Come home. Because eventually it's going to be too late. It will be too late. Refuse to listen, refuse to heed God's instruction, ignore the counsel and correction. Verse 26 says, I will laugh at your calamity. Laugh? Well, that's not funny, haha, laugh. That's laugh of disbelief. You fool. I told you to listen to my beloved son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I told you what would happen if you didn't. But you refused to listen. You fool. Verse 28. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Why? Because it's going to be too late. You hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. You refuse to listen to the wisdom of God, refuse to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. Therefore, verse 31, they shall eat the fruit of their way. Their way, the fruit of their way. Have their fill of their own devices. Simply put, you will reap what you sow. Like Adam and Eve being cast from the garden, so will the fools who eat the fruit of their way banished from the love of God once and for all. But verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Did you catch that? Whoever listens to God's instructions, repents and believes in the gospel, 
follows after Christ, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, this isn't the prosperity gospel. This isn't for the here and the now. There's no promise of ease in this world. We very well may face disaster and destruction in this life. Tragedies and trials will come. But what we see here is a promise of the happily ever after for everyone who believes. Listen and obey the wisdom and instruction of God now. Repent and believe in the gospel now. Take and eat the body and the blood of Christ now and dwell secure with Christ forevermore. Enjoying Him and being satisfied in Him forever. Church, this is wise wisdom from a father to a child because it was first wise wisdom from a heavenly father to a child. This is wisdom that we must heed and we close with reflecting on four things. One, wise people provide wise instruction. Simply put, we we can't instruct in wisdom if we don't have wisdom, which means we have to commit ourselves to growing in knowledge and growing in understanding so that we can now be crowned with wisdom ourselves and impart that wisdom upon those we love so that we can faithfully teach others. And students, young people, singles, those one day down the line want to have children possibly, this doesn't start then. It starts now. You want to be the best possible parent for your child? Then begin now growing in knowledge and understanding and wisdom. Continue to do that throughout your life. Number two, wise people listen to and don't forsake wise instruction. Doesn't mean that they don't sin, but wise people receive instruction in wise dealing and don't abandon it. They listen, they learn, they obtain guidance. They cling to to it in good times and in bad. And there are going to be some bad times. There are going to be some difficult times thinking, should I continue down this road? And God is saying, yes, continue down this road. And everything is being enticing and you saying, maybe I should go this way. And God is saying, no, follow me. Keep following me. Let my word be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. You're going to need it in the darkness. Rest in my word. Number three, wise people are aware of the serpent in the garden. We know he's there. And we know know that we're not immune from being bit. Put our guard down for even a moment. Forsake wisdom for, for one moment, one evening. And we'll take a bite of that forbidden fruit. Our willpower is not gonna be enough. Why? Because that's how greedy our sinful hearts really are. That's what they're prone to do. Sin. And number four, when we do sin, when we do fall, wise people dwell secure with Jesus in understanding because we know this. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And we rest in that over and over and over again. We will never obey enough. We will never be good enough. But we will want to obey and we will want to follow and we will want to heed instruction because of the lavish grace of God that has been placed upon us. Let's pray together.
Lord, thank you for making your wisdom known to us. Both through your Son and through the Bible. If it were not for, for you, there would be no Bible. And if it were not for the Bible, we would not be able to know you. You are a wise and loving Father. And we thank you for both telling us and showing us how to live. We thank you that you have not left us to figure this all out on our own. Because if that were the case, we would surely fail. Even with your wise instruction, we, we sometimes fail. We still have moments of sinful greed where we ask that you forgive us of our sin. Forgive us for thinking that the things of this world could make us happier than your will for us. Lord, help us to see you as all glorious. Jesus, we want to see him as the irresistible one. So where we're enticed by the things of this world, we're looking to Christ as more desirable. Help us to trust you more this afternoon than we did this morning. More this afternoon than we do Raven right now. May we walk in your ways. Not out of burden, but out of, because we see your ways as the blessing for which they are. Oh Lord, we say thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to the singing of God's word.